Hey y'all, Michelle here. Thanks for joining me for episode five of the Roaring Out podcast. This one's called How I Came to Accept My Art. Now, earlier in the year, I wrote a blog post um, that generally talked about how I came to accept my wonky art. Since then, I've actually gotten a request to speak a little bit more about that and to be more specific about what practical steps I took um, to accept my art, even though it's not really the typical, realistic, awe-inspiring type of art. So I was asked to be a bit more specific about that and also how I sort of came to be more free with my art and in accepting it. So I thought a podcast would be a perfect way to elaborate. In this blog post, I told a story about how my insecurity with art started. Now, for those of you who may know me, I'm a writer. I'm very comfortable in the field of writing. I have my master's in poetry. I teach college level English courses. So, I mean, that's really my thing, right? English and writing. Uh, but I also love art. Now, this story I'll reiterate here for those of you who may not have read the blog post. And if you do want to read the blog post, the link for it will be in the show notes. Actually, lots of links will be in the show notes. This will probably be the most robust batch of show notes um, so far with lots of links and resources that I'll be sharing. So back to that story. So what happened was in about was maybe first or second grade, uh, my teacher read my class a story about a man, and I don't remember exactly what the story was about, but I do imagine it's probably something like the emperor's new clothes, because our assignment after reading that story uh, was to cut out a paper man, meaning um, a, a replica, essentially, of the man in the story, and we were supposed to, you know, using glue and construction paper and our crayons, we were supposed to draw clothes on this man. And we could, you know, make him anything we wanted to be. And some people uh, made him a ninja or a fighter. And some people gave him like a leather jacket and really good stuff. Now, when I was in grade school, it was the cusp of the 80s ending and the 90s beginning. So 80s fashion was still uh, in fashion, as as you would say. So what I decided to do was make my paper man as if he was working out. So I gave him short shorts and a lemon yellow headband. And I remember this distinctly because uh, just looking back on it, it, to me, it just seems so funny. But that's what I did. And so after everyone was done with the assignment, my teacher posted all of our little paper men with all of our different little outfits we put on him on our class bulletin board. And I remember two things about this experience. The first was that one of my friends was, I mean, a true artist through and through, even at that young age. And I just remember to this day what her paper man's outfit looked like. She cut out a leather jacket out of construction paper that I swear was ready for J. Crew. I mean, this was very well done for, you know, first or second grade hands. What I also remember, though, and this is where my insecurity crept in, 
was that I admired the bulletin board behind two of my classmates. And they were talking and probably didn't even realize I was behind them. But, you know, they were commenting on their own. But what I remember most is that one of those classmates looked over the board and said, and I'll never forget this, he said, I like all of them, except that one. And the one he pointed to was mine. And now I know it wasn't done out of malice, and I'm sure they didn't know I was behind them. And I'm pretty sure the the boy who pointed out mine as the one he didn't like, I'm almost 100% sure he didn't even know it was mine. He was just stating his opinion. But I happened to be behind him, right? And I happened to hear, and I was hurt. This also was the start of me feeling that I'm not good at art. And I distinctly remember that because I, I sort of trace that moment back to me feeling that I'm no good at art. I'm really, really good at writing, but when it comes to studio art or creating things from my mind, I'm not good at it. People will point at it, uh, or rather people will look over a whole gallery exhibit and say, I like everything except that one, and they'll point out mine which of course isn't true, right? But I carried that with me. But even so, I just have this undying love for art supplies. I love drawing, I love painting. And for years, I did that, not really being happy with the results. You know, I would sort of think, well, that person didn't like my stuff. You know what, I don't even like my stuff. But I persevered because it's just something I like. It's one of those things that I can't not do it because it's a part of me. So for years, I pursued writing because that's what I was proud of. That's what I felt I was gifted in. But then around 2010, 2011, um, which is actually right around the time I moved out on my own and graduated from my master's program, that I began dabbling in forms other than writing, like glass etching, decoupage. Um, I mean, I just bought scores of art supplies. And now uh, I'm more into drawing and painting. So I have uh, a, uh, this little container that actually looks like a toolbox, and it's just full of gel pens and pastels and micron pens and all this stuff, um, watercolors that I use to draw and paint. But now you might think, well, how did you get here? Um, if you listen to the last episode of this podcast, episode four, you'll see that I shared a lot about the tips and tricks um, and just things that I learned through sharing my art. So how did I go from feeling, you know what, I'm no good at art to being comfortable actually not only creating, but also sharing my work for others to see. Now, this approach was sort of four-pronged, if you will. Um, there's four sort of, for lack of a better term, there were four steps I took. Now, they weren't, I did this, then that, then that. It was sort of, I did a whole lot of exploring. And through writing some notes for this podcast, I distilled it into four steps. Um, and I also want to preface this by saying, remember that this process took me at least four to five years. So if what I did seems overwhelming, just remember I did it over years, not over 
weeks or months even. It, it took a while. What I also want to mention is that the first two of the four are very person-centric um, and community-related, and that is because I think community is so central to really any art form, not only just for morale boosting, but also just for inspiration. Um, when you see what other people are doing, I mean, it can just be so invigorating. So I wanted to start with the two uh, people-centric items before diving into the other ones. The first is e-courses. With the advent of the internet, you can really learn anything. And it's not like back alley learning, right? You know, learning from someone that you don't know how they're qualified, um, the production's not that great. No, you can get fairly easily and relatively inexpensively access to very high quality content from artists who are pretty well established in a variety of mediums. So the first e-course that I ever took was actually uh, by Stephanie Levy. Uh, she used to hold Creative Courage e-courses. Um, she's sort of winding down from that now, but her Creative Courage e-course uh, was just filled with prompts and colorful images and this community um, and Facebook group uh, with Creative Courage that was so vibrant. And I saw people from all over the world, some in very similar uh, situations to my own, you know, feeling that they weren't good at art, but still loving art. And you know what? They did their art anyway. And that was just so invigorating to me. Since then, um, I took her course in 2012 for the first time. And since then, I've taken a few other e-courses, some of which I'm actually still in. Uh, the first is Elena Hennessy's year of painting. And another one is Tamara Laporte's life book. She actually does life book every year. Um, I'm doing obviously 2015, but I know she's already taking signups for 2016 life book course. The great thing about these e-courses is like Stephanie Levy's, um, they often have corresponding Facebook groups where you can post questions or even post your work if you're not ready to share it on Instagram or on Twitter or anywhere where people you don't really know can potentially see it. These Facebook groups are really great because everyone in the group is taking the course. So you're kind of all in the same boat. And it's really cool to see what others do with the prompts that are given. And these, I can say from experience, these communities are also very supportive. You won't have anyone who will bash your art. Um, if anything, you might get some constructive critique, but usually only if you ask. Sometimes people will say, oh, here's what I've done so far. Should I color this in? Should I use more blue? Um, and people will let you know, but it's a very supportive, positive uh, communities. So again, if you're just starting out, the, these are some of the communities uh, that I think could serve well. Some other Facebook groups that are not attached to overall e-courses, but that are great, supportive, positive art communities are 12 Pages in 2015 and also Indie Kindred. The great thing about Indie Kindred is that it's artists from all over the United States, um, and they may also be international, but I know at least in the United States, we're pretty widespread and there are subgroups of Indie Kindred who will sometimes put together 
events for other kindreds in that area. And actually, about a month ago, I went to an open studio get together with some other indie kindreds, and we just had a blast. We did some collage, um, some painting. So it was just so much fun. So again, really positive community um, is a great first step to getting some confidence um, and also inspiration for your own artwork and coming to accept your own artwork. The second item that helped me really overcome any anxiety or misgivings I had about my own artwork was a bit more personal than the e-courses and Facebook groups. It's creative coaching. So I have done two rounds of creative coaching with two different coaches, both of whom were absolutely wonderful and both of whom um, really brought different wonderful uh, items to the table for me. Uh, the first was Stephanie Levy. And this was so great for me because I took her course in 2012. And then I started creative coaching with her or had her as my creative coach rather last year. So over two years, I really got to know her work and she also got to know me and having her as a coach uh, for a few months was really a culmination for me and um, a great personal win because she had seen me grow over the last few years. And then to get one on one with her was such a wonderful opportunity, especially for someone who was familiar with my work and not only with my work, but with my work in response to her prompts. Um, I'm currently actually now taking uh, creative coaching uh, lessons, tasks. I'm not quite sure how to say that um, with Yuko Miki or Yuko Miki. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Of Honeyberry Studios. Now, you might think, well, why should I get creative coaching? For me, I really like one on one interaction and one-on-one -on -one feedback. And both Stephanie and Yuko gave that to me in very different ways. Stephanie Levy, I did coaching with her when I didn't have a website. Um, my internet presence was sort of scattered everywhere and I had no idea what to do with my artwork. So Stephanie really helped me focus my social media presence. Um, and she has tons of experience with that um, because she's also all over the Internet. And she's done a lot of trial and error. So she was able to tell me more about that. And she also helped me give me a lot of different takeaways and resources that I could look at on my own to help focus my creative practice. Yuko helped me in a bit of a different way. We focused less on my internet presence, which um, I sort of unified with Stephanie, and focused more on the nitty gritty of getting down to a creative practice. So we've been working more on getting into my art, getting down and dirty with my materials, and actually doing the artwork itself as opposed to um you know, building a website. And certainly all of those things are necessary, but it was just hard for me to focus on everything at once, which is why I sort of segmented with uh, both creative coaches. They really, and what I will say for both is that they really helped me focus uh, my creative goals. Um, mostly what they also helped me with uh, was posting every day or at least unifying my internet presence. So again, if you listen to episode four, 
uh, where I talked about posting for 30 days straight. Um, that started with Stephanie. Um, and then I just didn't keep posting, but Yuko really pushed me to keep posting, uh, 30 days and beyond. And, you know, I was able to do that with her. Another thing that both coaches gave me were practical steps to push through what I call the rough draft phase. When I write and I know that a piece of writing isn't really that great, I can push through it. I spent two years getting an MFA where I could learn tools and techniques to push through that, but I didn't have those same tools I felt for art. You know, I would spend five or 10 minutes on something and if it looked like crap, I scrapped it because you know, what was playing in my head was, well, you're no good at art anyway. You're a writer. And not that there's anything wrong with being a writer, but I wanted to be an artist too. I really enjoyed it. So they gave me steps to push through that rough draft phase. Um, and one of them, as I mentioned before, was just making art and posting every day, no matter what that art um, or drawing or painting might look like. And just from doing that, I feel like I've really got more of a sense of not only the tools that I like to use, um, but also the subject matter as well. Um, I tend towards abstract. And so that's that's really my niche. Um, what my coaches also encourage me to do is maybe e even stick with a color palette, a style or a schedule. So a color palette, no matter what you draw, if you only have four to six colors to choose from, that's a limiter right there, and that can help give some direction. You can also practice a certain style, like abstract or impressionistic or illustrative, or stick to a schedule. For me, I try and do something every day, though now it's been more every other day, so I'm trying to, to do every day again. So they really gave me options like that to help focus my creative practice. And as I mentioned before, creative coaching is similar to the e-courses in that you do have a community, but it is more personalized and there's more focused accountability. Facebook groups are great because when you post, um, people will comment and like your stuff, but it's a little harder in a larger group to get stuff like, you know, personal in-depth feedback or for someone to keep you on task with um with a personal goal. So that's why I opted for creative coaching. Now, I sort of want to let you also know about some of cor some courses that I've done that have been a bit more self-paced. So I guess this is more of a subset of point 1. I mentioned in my last podcast about creative bug and Skillshare. Um I also wanted to let you guys know specifically about some of the classes that I've done there that have really helped me and given me some tools for my toolbox, as it were. Um, so as I mentioned, with writing, I can push through a rough draft phase. I know how to do that. I'm practiced in that. And now I'm focusing on getting more practiced in tools and techniques to push through rough drafts of artwork. I am subscribed to both Creative Bug and Skillshare and wanted to, again, share some uh, teachers and also some classes that have helped me and that could possibly help you as well. On Creative Bug, 
two classes, or rather two artists that have really helped me a lot are Lisa Congdon and Pam Garrison. Lisa Congdon on Creative Bug has a few classes, but the ones that really helped me are her sketchbook explorations series. Um, she has two classes, sketchbook explorations and more sketchbook explorations, and also her basic line drawing class. That gave me a lot of form language. And by that, I mean simple shapes and simple lines that I could use when I want to draw something simple or, you know, just say something with pictures, but I'm not sure where to start. She gives some really simple, quick tools and techniques that can be built upon uh, to actually look really complex if that's what you're going for. Pam Gar Garrison's creative sketchbook or creative sketchbooking was also very helpful. She has very freeform shapes um, that she uses that she then fills in and again makes more complex. Both Pam Garrison and Lisa Congdon give very simple tools and techniques, which were certainly very helpful for me because I was sort of intimidated at first, and then showed how to build upon it in your own way, which was so helpful for me. So I've been able to take those foundations and make them my own. On Skillshare, the artists that have helped me are Chantelle Martin and Rhea Sharon. Chantelle Martin's classes are Drawing on Everything, and the art of subtraction. And actually her art of subtraction course is where I found my go-to digital tools, paper by 53 and pencil by 53. So thanks Chantel. Um, she also has very free form language uh, with art as well. And she fills it in, not necessarily with paint or pastels, but with faces, with words and things like that. So. With her classes, I saw that I could merge my loves of art and the written word. So that was really helpful for me. Rhea Sharon's class, Sketchbook Magic, is just so fun. Um, she gives you a few items um, and she encourages you to gather some not so common art tools, like a toothbrush, like uh, a fork, like a cup, um, and you pick a random tool and start using it, you know, or you pick a random subject and draw it as you interpret it. And it's just so fun. So that's really helped me also be nice and loose. All of these artists and all of these um, classes really help give me a language for my art. You know, I know language as we usually know it through writing, but these one these classes and artists really helped me give voice to things that perhaps aren't even language to me yet, but they help give form to uh, my creativity uh, through art and through visual media. Now, going on to point three, how I came to accept my art was through practice and experimenting through creative coaching and through e-courses as well as creative bug and skillshare i practiced what i saw you know i was given prompts i was given tools and techniques through just absorbing all of that information through the e-courses and through coaching that once i just felt full i was like okay let me go and do my own thing um 
and using a bunch of different media throughout the year, such as acrylic paint, um, micron pens, watercolor, they made me a lot more comfortable and a lot more bold with my art. Um, for myself, when I use a new medium, it's very low stakes for me because, well, I'm not well versed in it. So if I make mistakes, you know, whatever, it's very low stakes. And just through that practice, even when I became well versed in a particular medium, I was still able to carry that low stakes attitude that, you know what, even if I'm well versed in a medium, it is all still an experiment. If I make a mistake, I can work with it. And really, I've also adopted the thought of there are no mistakes in art. What you do is what you do. Um, and that's really only come through time and practice. Um, and also keeping a steady practice, as I mentioned in episode four. And I know I'm mentioning episode four a lot, but um, that episode and this one, I think, are just very closely linked and go hand in hand quite a bit. Um, keeping a steady practice also helps you build three things, experience and confidence. As I built those two things specifically, I was able to shush the voice that said, Michelle, you're no good at art. You know, the one that I've been feeling since first or second grade when that boy pointed out my paper doll and said, I don't really like that one. As I built, built experience and confidence and was happier with what I was producing, and even when I wasn't happy with it, just knowing that that step, even if I didn't like it, was getting me to where I where I would like to be as an artist was so such a refreshing state of mind. The third thing that it will also build is a portfolio, whether it's on Instagram, whether it's on a website or Twitter or Facebook. Even if you're not worried about a portfolio or showing at galleries or anything like that, just having a body of work is really cool for people to see. Um, and if you are going the route of perhaps galleries or wanting to be a freelance artist or something like that, just having a steady practice not only gives you practice <laughs> in whatever medium you want, but it also builds a nice portfolio for others to see and for you to share. The last item for how I came to accept my art is, well, I needed to share it. Um, I would encourage you to put yourself out there when you're ready. For me, that actually took a little while. I shared my writing well before I shared my art. I started a blog in 2010, but it probably wasn't until 2012 when I really started, 2012 or 2013, that I started sharing my art in fits and spurts, first with e-course closed F, uh, Facebook groups, um, but more recently, probably in the last year or so, through Instagram. I've been posting a lot of my process um, and the art that I've been making. So there's no time limit to when you put yourself out there. And if you never put yourself out there, if you just want your art to be a very personal practice, that is absolutely fine. But for me, the last step in truly accepting who I was as an artist and what my art was and just appreciating it for what it was, was sharing it with other people. And you know what? The response has been pretty positive. And I would say that's probably go, you know, will be your experience as well, as long as you are kind and courteous, right? To your followers and the people who like your stuff. 
So as I mentioned, I share primarily through Instagram. Um, and if you're looking for some inspiration, I'd encourage you to search hashtags. So one, you know, that might be a no brainer is the hashtag art. Um, maybe explore hashtag painting or hashtag comics. You know, there's a hashtag for everything. So any medium you want, um, I'm sure there's a hashtag for it. I actually have my own hashtag. It's hashtag art every week, 2015. So whenever I post something, I use that uh, to sort of help chronicle what I'm doing. But I encourage others to use it as well to sort of build um, an online community also. If you decide to join an e-course, a lot of times they will have uh, their own hashtag for for e-course work to keep a sort of collective portfolio of what everyone's doing on either Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. The other thing with sharing, um, as I mentioned before, is to connect and be kind. Like and comment on other people's stuff. That's actually what I did for quite a while. Um, and that's actually how I found my creative coach, Yuko, is that for a while I would like and comment her stuff. I really loved her style. And then we connected in such a way that made it good for us to um, work as creative partners. The other thing I would say uh, for connecting is imitate artists you like. I've done that a couple of times and I make sure to give them credit. Um, so that they know they were the inspiration. And every now and then I will have an art, that same artist, like my work or comment. And it's just really nice, again, to connect with other people and see, you know, who likes your work and whose work you like. And it's really great to make those connections and sort of start your own community as well. Lastly, I just want to reiterate, remember, I did these steps over years please don't feel overwhelmed by this. I would encourage you that if you're in a place where I was four or five years ago and you love art, but you're not quite sure how to accept it or you're not sure how to make time for it or whatnot, I would encourage you to pick one of the four steps that I mentioned and just start there. And again, to reiterate, those four steps were e-courses, two, creative coaching, Three, practice and experimenting. And four, sharing. Pick something and run with it. That's over these past at least four or five years. That's what I did. I picked something and I ran with it. And now I'm able to juggle a couple of those things because of practice, really. Um, I Again, I encourage you to take a step. And the last thing I encourage you to do is be in touch with me. I would love to hear about your own art journey. And even if you just want to pick my brain about art or literature, or writing or anything like that, I am very happy to share. Uh, give me a shout out on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. All of that information is in the show notes. And you can also email me at michelle.e.greco at gmail.com. Very lastly, I promise this is the last thing. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd also encourage you to go on iTunes and give me a review. If you're enjoying this, um, it's probably the best way you can support the show. Um, more reviews equals more people that this podcast is in front of. And then the more people who can learn these tips and tricks that I'm sharing. 
Thank you all so much. I think this is the longest podcast at 31 minutes uh, that I have ever done so far. So thank you for sticking with me through this long podcast. I certainly hope it was helpful that you learned something and perhaps gained a bit more courage to pursue your own art. Thank you again so much, and I'll see y'all next week. Bye.